Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Each year, I typically give a Bible to the graduates to take with them in their next journey, and, and I can't think of a better gift to give to someone. God's Word is rich, um, and it's diverse, it's, it's hopeful, and yet it can be frustrating at times. Um, it's serious and funny, it's beautifully written, but it's also deeply practical. And so today, as we continue on our journey through the Bible, we come to one of those difficult passages of correction. The prophet Amos delivers a truly sarcastic speech to the Israelites. The entirety of the text of Amos is, is masterfully written. Uh, and in speaking to the Israelites, he gets them on his side by talking about all of the things that their enemies have done. I mean, who doesn't like to dish about the people that are trouble in their lives, right? Now, this message is not about gossip. We're not going to talk about that today. But Amos uses this method to get the people of God on his side so that he can ultimately call out the sin in their life. See, this is really the role of prophets. They're sent by God to identify the sin of the people and call them back into righteousness and into repentance. I have a couple of people in my life that have what I would like to call a prophetic voice. And they're direct, they're intense, and, and thankfully they're very loving. When I listen to their correction, when I listen to what they have to say to me about my sin, it's very centering. And when I actually pay attention it can become transformative. And that's God's goal for the prophetic voice, is that for people to understand God's authority and for them to experience a transformation that leads to sanctification. The sanctification is when we step away from the sinful ways that we're in and consistently choose a path that God is wanting for us. Now, I've been wrestling with this this week, what it means to be transformed and, and sanctified, how it, how it leads to a new behavior. When we transform more into the likeness of God, then our behavior changes. And, and ultimately, that's a lot of what Amos is talking about in this book. He's calling out something that is behavioral in the Israelites, but their behavior is inauthentic. He's challenging the religious behavior of the people of God. They were trying to protect themselves from God's wrath by working to gain his favor, all the while ignoring their selfish motives. This is probably something that you and I are familiar with, something that you've heard before, the idea of works versus faith. But I think this is really good for us to hear and for us to talk about today. So how many times do we settle in our own lives for working our way into heaven rather than believing that God is our righteousness? Here's a non-religious example uh, that we can relate to. There are many commercials these days, I'm sure, that you've seen that, that um, in the midst of this pandemic, they have this tone of support, right, for the essential workers. Now, obviously, we support and we appreciate all of the hard work and sacrifice that the people who are, who are working to keep us safe, working to keep us healthy and supplied with the resources that we need. Um, obviously, we need to keep talking about and encouraging them, but with every new commercial from every single company that's out there, with every email that they're sending and every update in their website, at, at some point it becomes uh, something that feels forced. Like these companies have to do this to stay in line with the tone of our nation and world. It, it almost feels fake. 
I mean, we know how serious this pandemic is. We, we understand what cost people are making by serving in hospitals and, and on the front lines and in grocery stores. But when the message is repeated the same way over and over and over again, it feels like pandering. It doesn't feel genuine. This is the same kind of thing that's been going on for millennia in the church. This is a religious behavior that we're going to talk about today. People who do what's expected of them to keep favor with God or with the people around them. You think about it. Have you ever had a conversation with someone about why they attend church or, or why they're getting baptized or why they pray or read the Bible? And, and it just sounds like they're, they're trying to garner favor from God or avoid His wrath rather than really deep diving deep into a relationship with God. And, and it's possible that this kind of a thing is something that we're not immune to ourselves. I know for me, I, I can be this way. In fact, I remember a time in my life when I would sleep in Instead of coming to church on a Sunday morning, I would wake up just in time to go to lunch and I would get dressed up like I had been to church so that people out, outside around me might think that I had attended a worship service in the morning. You know, I, I think it's interesting that there's something inside of us that makes us do these kinds of things. Why do we believe so strongly that God is going to punish us for skipping church one Sunday? Now, hear me, I'm not advocating for us to skip church at all. In fact, right now is the greatest time ever. You can sit in your pajamas and sip your coffee in your living room and go to church and worship God. It's a really fantastic time. But for some reason, we believe that, that the righteousness of God that he gives to us, this mercy gift that he gives to us, isn't enough. And so we want to work to be justified when the truth is God offers us grace. And that is what ultimately justifies us. So Amos implies that this behavior comes from a lack of understanding in the character of God. He he suggests that, that when we're focused on the promises of God rather than God's character or God himself, it results in this religious system and this religious behavior that's ultimately lacking honor, worship and surrender to God. Now, I'm going to say that again in a different way. When we trust in the promises of God, we trust that we're saved, we trust that we're justified, we trust that we're loved, we trust that we're going to have eternal life. When we trust in those things, rather than trusting in who God is, we miss something. Remember John 3.16, it reads this way, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's nothing that we can do, but it's God who does all of the work. Religious behavior is focused on us. Christ-like behavior, God-like behavior is focused on God. So let's read this text today. Today we're going to focus ourselves in chapter 4 of the book of Amos. We'll begin in verse 4 and read through verse 13. I'm going to pause uh, a few times through the text just to provide a little context. So let's start this story. Verse 4, Amos says to the people of Israel, Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. These places that that Amos is talking about, Bethel and Gilgal, they're places of worship. So you have to imagine what, what Amos is ultimately saying here. He's saying, go to church and sin. Go to church and sin, right? And then he he says, bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes every three days. Amos, at this moment, is he's exaggerating the religious behavior of the people. God's original call was to bring sacrifices every year, not every day. 
He, he, he called them to bring their tithe every three years, not every three days. He's saying, do this. Do this every day, all you want. In fact, sit in the place where God resides. It's fine. Just remember to bring your sacrifices. Remember to bring your tithe. After all, isn't it those things that make you righteous? No, it's not the works that you do. It's not what you bring that makes you righteous, but it's God alone. Amos is sarcastically saying this. So let's keep on reading as this becomes more apparent. Verse 5. Amos says, burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, Amos is about to change his tone here in a minute. This is when he acknowledges the authority and the sovereignty of God. Verse 6 says, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still there, was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town with for water, but didn't get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with, their, with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick. Snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Now, I bet many of you, just like me, when you hear that, something turns in your stomach just a little bit. You know, we like to think that there's no way that God would send all of these calamities to this people in order to get their attention. And and I want to talk about something here for a moment. In America, and specifically in Columbus, we are increasingly living in a post Christian culture. And that means that the primary worldview is not of Christianity anymore. In fact, many people say that we are already living in a fully post-Christian culture. Therefore, people around us, they don't have the background to understand ultimately what Amos is saying to the Israelites here. And, I, and honestly, I include myself in this. I have to do research. I have to remember and study what he was talking about. See, Amos is speaking to a specific people at a specific time, about a specific circumstance, and referring to a specific moment between they and God. What Amos is saying here in this text should not be applied globally to everything that happens. Whenever there's a flood, whenever there's a tragedy, whenever there's a pandemic, Amos is not saying God sent this to you so that you would return to him, not that God can't or not that God won't, but that's not the case here. That's not the point of this message. Amos is specifically reminding the people of Israel about God's promise that he made to his covenant people. Those are the promises that we read about in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, where he says, if you are not faithful, this is what you can count on. So covenant people, God says, if you're not faithful to me, you can count on curses, hunger, drought, plagues, and violent enemies. 
Now, right before this, in the same chapters, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, God says, but if you are faithful, you will experience abundance in every area of your lives. Now, here's how this applies to us. To you and I as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, then we have entered into this covenant with God, a covenant that says that if we believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he he was resurrected back to life, then we would have eternal life with God. So God sent his son, Jesus, who um, who did the work through his death and resurrection. And if we believe in him, then we have everlasting life with God. God is the one that does the work. What we do, the covenant that we make, is that we choose to live as faithful followers of him. And so Amos is saying, I sent these things, God sent these things to remind you of our covenant, but you chose not to return to me. In fact, what you did was you created these religious ceremonies that I never asked for. They they weren't designed to honor me, they weren't designed to, to worship me, but rather they meant to keep you protected from my wrath. You were pandering to me. It wasn't real. It's it's what you formulated thinking that's what I wanted from you. And all the while I already told you what I want for you to follow me, for you to let my light shine through you so that other men all around you, men and women, could understand what it means to also follow me. That was it. And then Amos speaks on behalf of God something that I think that we need to listen to. He spoke something that all of the Israelites feared. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. And then he describes the God that they're going to meet. Verse 13, He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. He's saying, you're going to meet the creator of all of the universe, who controls everything. You are a mere mortal. Now, my goal today is not to talk about fire and brimstone, but it this is what Amos is saying. There, there's, this, there's this moment when he's saying, God who created all of this is, is who you're going to meet when this life is over. The same God who said, come and follow me. The God who, who also told us that he won't condemn us for our sins if we would just trust in him. He instead challenges us to live a different way. When we choose to, to honor God for who he is rather than what he can do for us, that's when we understand what faith is. Religion says, if I do this, then you will do something for me. Worship says, God, you are great and worthy of my praise. And that's it. This is what Amos wanted the people to know. The most important thing was who God is. A God of righteousness, a God of love, a God of mercy, and a God of justice. There was a story written in the 1980 version of Our Daily Bread, a devotional that I grew up with. Um, you may remember the story of Flight 191 that flew from Chicago to L.A. Uh, it actually crashed uh, there in Chicago, killing all of the passengers on the plane, plus two ground crew, totaling about 273 fatalities. Now, one pastor tells the story of how God saved him because as, as he was delayed in New York from getting on the flight in Chicago, but another pastor was not. He, he says this, quote, I just had to let you know about one of God's great saints who ran to make Flight 191 and made it. His name was Edward E. Elliott, beloved pastor of the Garden Grove Orthodox Presbyterian Church 
in California. That church went on to become the Crystal Cathedral, which you may have heard of. His plane from Pennsylvania was late, and a friend who had accompanied him to Chicago said he last saw him dashing forward in the terminal to make his connection. And as I read about Pastor Elliot's fruitful ministry, the question I raised in that June devotional challenged me with new urgency. Was divine providence operating only in New York and not in Chicago? And immediately, the words of my correspondent came alive. At the time, Reverend Elliot didn't know he was indeed running to heaven. Pastor Elliot's uh, family, who was uh, survived by him, uh, his wife and his four married children, they spent time comforting their church there in California. Their Christian faith, their testimony in sorrow was most extraordinary in those following days. See, when I read a story like this, my tendency is to look up into heaven and say, why would you do that, God? Why would you take a faithful man and God, a fruitful servant, um, uh, to, to, why would you allow him to perish? But Pastor Elliot's wife and, and, and his children came at the situation very differently. They, they were looking up to the heavens and they were saying, God, you are still the same. You are still worthy of our worship, no matter the circumstances, no matter our loss. You are still worthy of our worship. The sadness was still there for them. The sorrow was still very real. But the event did not change who God was. And they still chose to worship him. See, this is what Amos was calling for. He wanted the people to know the true heart of worship. That, that it was knowing the very character of God and believing in that rather than trusting in some religious behavior that they could do that they thought might save them. So you and I as followers of Jesus, we're living in extraordinary times. There doesn't seem to be an earthly system that we can trust apart from gravity, right? You know, our political systems are failing. Scientific data is confusing. There are threats all around us that we can't see. So, so where do we turn? Can we trust God? And, and, and I want to be clear. The people that Amos was speaking to were asking that same thing. Can they trust God. But Amos was saying, there's something else altogether that you need to be asking, that you need to understand. Number one, God is trustworthy. He's not arbitrary. He's not capricious. Amos wanted the people of God to ask, what can I learn from this God? How will this moment, this situation, transform me more into your likeness? See, when we choose to focus on the character of God we come up with very different conclusions. If God is faithful, then the outcome is the same, right? Eternity with God. If God is loving, then the outcome is the same. Acceptance from God. God doesn't change ever. We should be asking ourselves how we can change to be more like God. It doesn't matter if we're in the midst of a trial or a celebration. How can we be more like God? It doesn't matter if it's fat or famine. How can we be more like God? Pandemic or prime health. How can we be more like God? That is what worship looks like. When we're always asking ourselves the question, how can we grow to become more like God? So today I want to challenge you. It doesn't matter what's happening in your world. God isn't any different because of your circumstances. God didn't necessarily send that situation to you that you're living in. And it doesn't matter if he did. Not if we're asking ourselves, how can I be more like God because of what I'm experiencing today?
the truest form of worship is to be becoming more like him. That's what it means to follow him. Let me pray for his church. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are exactly who you say you are. God, your character is real. We, we can trust in that. We, we know that you are um, loving, that you are kind, that you are merciful, that you're gracious. We know that you are righteous and, and that, that you are also a God of justice. We know that none of that changes, Lord. I pray that we might be in a posture of surrender to you so that we are the one that changes that we might be transformed into your likeness. No matter what's going on in our lives, the good, the bad, the difficult, the easy, how can we learn to be more like you in the midst of what we're living in? So come, Holy Spirit, I pray. I pray that you would stir in our hearts and our minds ways that we can be transformed more into your likeness. Let us keep asking ourselves this question, how can we be more like you, God? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, it was good to be with you. I can't wait to see you again. Take care. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questfineer.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.